So um, we all have a, a moment in our life, right? We can look back and say, hey, that was a life marker, a day that we'll remember forever, right? And you probably get where I'm going with this because 21 years ago today was a moment for every person in this country, at least if you were alive at that time. There's still some people in here who were not. But you, if we took the time and spent this whole morning, we could go around and say, hey, where were you that morning? You could tell me in a second where you were. Right, and that moment for me was when I was in eighth grade. I was um, actually in a choir class, which is funny because if you know me, you know I cannot sing. Uh, so uh, it was funny, but I remember going up to my teacher. I, I vividly remember the lights were off in the classroom, and I went up and said, "Hey, Miss Tolliver, what what are we doing today?" And because it was like halfway through the class, and we were just sitting there, and I'm, I'm like, "She's like, we're not doing anything." She pointed at her computer, and it, it was right around the time after the first plane hit the first tower, and. And I don't think I really knew what was going on, of course, because at that time we didn't know. You know, it was like, hey, is it an accident? So it was right as the time we transitioned to our next class for the morning. And I remember sitting there, and they turned on TVs in our classroom, which I'm grateful for at the same time. You know, it was hard to see. And so we're sitting there on live TV and watched the second plane hit. And, and the visceral emotion, like even this morning I was watching the footage uh, on TV as they were replaying it. Uh, and, and you know that, because it, it's a moment that we know, at the time, we didn't know how it would change our world in America, right? And, and to this day, there's still things in place because of that moment, right? Security at the airport, for one. And we all remember that. And we can go back, and we can all share a story in our own life about, hey, this was a moment. This was a day that my life forever changed. And in story today, we're going to see that, actually. Ruth in chapter 2, if you're not already there, as you see on the screen, uh, that's where we're going to be. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you're not there. But that was the day for Ruth that totally changed the rest of her life. Uh, this person that she'll meet, which we'll get to in a second. And, and we're going to see that today. That in Ruth chapter 2, uh, as I've titled my sermon there on the, the screen, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that's why we were kind of intentional about some of the songs we sang this morning. And I had J.D. read that passage about the steadfast love endures, and that will come into play a little bit later. So today we're going to see in this passage kind of the main idea of this particular text is that God showed his steadfast faithfulness to Ruth by providing for both her physical and spiritual needs. And the good thing for us, if you're here this morning, if you're in Christ, right, the people of God, we have the same benefit, right, that God is faithful to us and he will provide for our physical and spiritual needs. And so that's what I hope as you leave this, this sermon this morning, this time of worship, that you are reminded of God's steadfast faithfulness. So before we dive into the, the scriptures, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and the fact that they are new every morning and your mercy is more and great is your faithfulness, Lord. And I pray that as we look at this passage in Ruth chapter 2, that you will help us to see that. Lord, we pray as the psalmist prayed that you would open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things from your law. I pray that you would take away all distractions um, or anything that's going on that would help us just to focus on this beautiful story in Ruth chapter 2. So God, we thank you. We praise you in advance for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we get into this passage this morning, we're going to actually see three different ways that God shows his steadfast faithfulness to Ruth. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. God showed his faithfulness to Ruth by providing her with work. God showed his faithfulness to Ruth by providing her with work. So let's look at Ruth chapter 2. We're just going to kind of work through the passage instead of reading it in, in one long stretch. So we'll look at verses 1 through 7 as we consider 
God's faithfulness. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And the reapers answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So right off the bat in this chapter, we see an introduction of a new character, right? Boaz. He's a relative of Elimelech, as the passage tells us. And we don't necessarily know how he was related, but he was an important person in the life of this family. But notice, that, look at the passage, what it does tell us about him. It says that he was a worthy man. So the author of this book t- takes special notice that the fact that Elimelech, or excuse me, Boaz is an upright man. There's something about him. And if you've ever heard me teach, or in, a lot of people in my small group will know this, I say this all the time, is that don't overthink the words in the Bible, but also make sure you know that every word in the Bible is intentional. So these descriptors of people, it matters. So this will come into play in a moment. So we see that in verse 2, Ruth lovingly comes to Naomi and says, hey, can I go glean in the fields, right? Maybe she didn't have to necessarily ask that, but she did because it was her mother-in-law and she wanted to have her blessing on that. So you're probably thinking, why in the world would the author of, or the author of Ruth write this whole story about someone going to glean in the field? Well, it's important. So when we think about this, right, Ruth and Naomi both were widows. We established that last week in J.D.'s sermon. Well, we need to know what, what that means in regarding to this time period, right? So back in the day during this, this story, we know that the husband was the, the one who provided all the income and ability to provide for his family. It was not the, the woman's job at this point in history. So if a husband died, it would often fall to the family that was there or close by, hopefully, to help provide for this widow. But sometimes that was just not the case. And so they were forced to sometimes, they had to sell themselves into slavery sometimes, even prostitution, or just live in destitution. So this was the area that they were living in. This was the times that they were having to deal with. So put yourself into Naomi and Naomi's shoes for a second, right? We learned last week that she was right married to Elimelech and left to go to this land of Moab because Bethlehem no longer had any food. They were in a famine. She takes her two children and her two sons, and, and they move off, right, to this foreign land. And as J.D. mentioned last week, that the Moab were the people of enemy. They were kind of Israel's enemy. And so they leave this place. And when they get there, they, the two sons get married, right? They have uh, Orpah in her name, not Oprah, but Orpah, right? We see that, and Ruth. And they come in, and they, they have a family. But tragedy strikes them, right? Both Elimelech, the head, ho- the head of the household, and the two sons die. So now we have not only one widow, we have three widows that we're having to figure out what's going on. We don't know necessarily how long in between them passing did they decide to move back to Bethlehem and the people of Israel. But this is the situation that Ruth and Naomi are facing. 
So she's got to figure out a way to provide for her family, for her and Naomi. So hold your spot there. We're going to flip over to look at another passage. So the question I want to think about is, why would she ask to go glean in the field? Well, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, right? Well, she needs some food, right? Go get some wheat, go get some barley, and provide for her family. So hold your spot in Ruth, because I want you to see the significance of this. We're going to turn over to Leviticus. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, so the third book of the Bible. Uh, In Leviticus 19, I want us to look at this provision in the law that God had given the people of Israel to take care of people like Ruth and Naomi. So in Luke chapter 19, we want to look at verses 9, 9 and 10. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now flip over a couple more chapters to the right to chapter 23. We'll look at chapter 23 of Leviticus and verse 22. It'll sound quite similar because it's pretty much the exact same verse. And it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So you can kind of already see the significance of what's going on. Feel free to turn back over to Ruth chapter 2, but I wanted to make sure we understand what's going on. What's the law around this time and age? As you're flipping back, listen to this same law in Deuteronomy 24:19. He says, "When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." So we see that this is the context of what Ruth is in, right? She knows that she can use this law to go provide for her family, for her and Naomi. And look at verse 3. So it says, She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Hmm. Interesting word uses there, right? It's just intentional. It's not the fact that Ruth just happened to have some stroke of luck. She was walking down the road. Hey, that looks like a good field. And she went into it, right? We see that the author wants to make us know that he is intentional in his word usage, right? That God is clearly orchestrating the events of the story. And look at verse 4. He, he does it again. And it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Right? It so happens that Boaz was in Bethlehem. He comes back to his field at the exact same time that Ruth is there. So again, the author wants us to understand that God is sovereignly working all this out for his good and for his glory. And look at, look at Boaz's response. He comes in and he talks to his reapers. He says, The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Well, Boaz uses this greeting because it continues to show the man of character he is. And the worker's response to him confirms that they believe that he is a worthy man. And why do we bring this up? Why is this even a thing we need to discuss? Well, you need to understand back in this day uh, that, that masters of fields and different things, they were not always the most generous, kind people to their servants or their slaves if they had them. Right? So it's very important that we understand that Boaz was this worthy man that the author tells, he, tells us he is. 
Right? We hear that even about Gideon in Judges 6.12. Of course, Gideon made some pretty bad decisions in his life like we all have. But Judges 6.12 tells us, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So we kind of see this idea of man. In Psalm 129.8, it kind of hears that same blessing. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So these are intentional greetings. These are intentional blessings that people use to talk to each other. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture here. And in verses 5 and following, we see that Boaz finally takes notice of the woman in his field. Right? He's like, hey, who's this woman in the field? Well, the workers, of course, tell him that he, she is a Moabite woman who came with Naomi. So kind of already, the, he kind of knows what's going on now that he knows who this is. But, but notice that he uses this Moab multiple times. He says the Moabite woman from the country of Moab, right? So they are intentionally saying, yes, she is from Moab. But notice what they also say in verse 7. She has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Ruth, in this moment, she is taking advantage of the provision of the Levitical law that we just read, right? She somehow knew this, right? She's coming from a foreign land. We don't know you know, how she learned all these things. I'm assuming maybe Ruth or Naomi hopefully taught those to her. But she's taking advantage of what God has already provided for them, right? This ability to provide her needs by going to the corners of the fields in order to glean from the, the harvest. So God, as we've already talked about multiple times, and even these first seven verses, is all over this story, right? His hand is all in what's going on. And so that should give us clues of like, wait a minute, something's coming down the road that we need to pay attention. So, of course, God is giving her this, Ruth, put it into her heart to take the initiative to go and find work. So in these first seven verses, we have seen how God proved his steadfast faithfulness by providing Ruth work. And the thing we need to keep in mind is that she was not guaranteed to find a place of work. There was no guarantee that, hey, there was a flyer on the, the corner post that said, hey, there's going to be a field down the road you can go glean from this time to this time. No, she wasn't guaranteed, much less finding a field, much less finding someone who would be willing to take in a foreigner. Right? So it's intentional that we understand that, that God was giving her this opportunity of providing for her physical need of, hey, we needed something to eat to take back home to her and her mother-in-law. So as we, this leads us into the second way of seeing how God showed his faithfulness. In verses 8 through 16, we're going to see that God showed his faithfulness to Ruth by providing her with protection. God showed his faithfulness to Ruth by providing her with protection. Follow along with me in verses 8 through 16. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but cleat close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men to not, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have, drink, have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, 
the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Wow, so this story is just beautifully developing for us. We, we see the next stage here that he is being her protector. He is providing some protection for her. And look at what he says in verse 8 there. He calls her my daughter. Right? Yes, there's an age difference here. Boaz is certainly a little bit older than Ruth. Uh, but, and she's still a foreigner. Right? The passage clearly gives us that idea. But Boaz doesn't see her that way. Right? In the end, he ultimately provides her protection. Even by saying, hey, do not go glean in another field. Stay in my field. I will protect you. Right? He, he knows that he will keep her safe. Because who knows what she's going to face in the other fields, being a foreigner. So he's promising here that he will protect her and that the young men will not harm her. We'll see that later on come into play. So not only does he promise that he will protect her, but look here in verse eight or the verse 9 at the end. He says, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And that's a big deal because in this day and age, again, most of the time, the women and the men did not interact. And much less, the, the women would always draw the water for the men, not the other way around, as we see here. And even foreigners would not draw for, they would often draw for the people of Israel. So this is indeed extraordinary that Boaz is doing this for Ruth, right? We can kind of see a theme beginning to develop. And look what she does in response to this. In verse 10, she falls on the ground in front of him. She's not worshiping in the sense that he's some god or some deity, but he understand, she understands what he is doing in her life. She even asks the question, why have I found favor for you? And again, she even says, hey, I'm a foreigner. Don't you get it? I'm a foreigner. Why are you treating me this way? One, she's a Moabite. Two, she's a, a woman. And so why are you treating me with this kindness? We clearly can see that Boaz was going above and beyond what the law was calling him to do. Listen to what one scholar says about Boaz in this moment. He says, when, the, when they first met, he was not disturbed by her nationality. Ruth had given up everything and had cast herself completely on the God of Israel. Boaz properly regarded Ruth as a member of the covenant community. She was no foreigner barred from the assembly of God's people. Wow, that's such a beautiful description of how Boaz treated Ruth. That's exactly how God has treated us. Right? We were foreigners. We were, if we were in Christ, we were outside of the community, the covenant community. Such beautiful language there to describe what we are a part of now if you are in Christ. Right? We're no longer treated as foreigners, as outsiders. We are a part of the assembly of God's people. And Boaz continues in the story and says, hey, I've heard everything that you have done for your mother-in-law. He is, she has taken care of her. She's helped her, provide her. I'm sure helped her on the journey from Moab back to Bethlehem. 
He knows that she has left her home, her family, and at some point, her foreign gods, right? She's come to this foreign land, one as a woman, one as a foreigner, and one as a widow. So she's got all these things that are going against her and has no clue of what's going to happen next. And so Ruth knew that leaving her home in Moab was a dangerous thing enough. So she had to place her faith in the God that at some point, I would assume, that Naomi told her about. And look at what Boaz does in verse 12. He prays for her. And essentially, right, he says, God or the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward by giving, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. So he's praying another blessing upon her, that she will be blessed and that she will be rewarded for what she has done. And look at the unique language that the author uses here. He says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, right? It's probably not something we say in our daily vocabulary, right? But we see that this is an imagery of a mother bird bringing in the chicks underneath her to protect them and, and provide refuge. And this is the way that he describing Ruth has done under God, the God of Israel, right? Yahweh. Even the psalmist uses this phrase in several places. Listen, in Psalm 36, 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, 1, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And then one more, Psalm 91, 4, He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Wow, it's such beautiful imagery here that, that Ruth has been told by Boaz. And so Boaz understands the significance of what Ruth has done by leaving her family, leaving her home, and coming to a different place. And look at her response to this. She says in verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes. Look up at verse 2 again. It says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So God was faithful to her in this moment, and she was given exactly what she was hoping for, to find favor to be led to the field of Boaz. And we see that she says that God has used you, Boaz, in my life to provide comfort and relief to her. She doesn't have to worry now about food to provide for her and her family. She is treated as one of Boaz's servants and not as a foreigner. And Boaz continues kind of, in verse 14, by allowing her to share a meal with him. Again, this is above and beyond what he was called to do. She was not treated any differently than the servants there with him. And this is not a romantic thing going on here. This wasn't their first date, so don't assume that. But Boaz is understanding here in this moment how he could bless Ruth and help her after what she had done for Naomi. So she was able to eat until she was full. She was fully satisfied and wasn't restricted to how much she could eat. And look in verse 15. It says that she goes back to work, right? After she's had a meal, she's had a break, she gets back to work. And this time, Boaz tells his servants to include her in the main area of harvesting, not just the edges of the field, right? She was now included where the good stuff was. He wants her to be right in the middle of the harvest. So he even goes as far as telling her his workers, say, hey, guys, 
don't just make her do all the hard work. Take some of the good stuff out and throw it out just so it'll be easier for her. So again, he's looking after providing for her and also protecting her. He is protecting her, one, by allowing her to stay in this field for the entire harvest. So he allows her to do that. So now she doesn't have to worry about tomorrow, figuring out, okay, where am I going to go glean tomorrow? I got to figure this out all again. No, he says, hey, stay here. Stay with me. I will protect you. I will watch over you. So not only have we seen God showing his faithfulness to Ruth by providing her with work and with protection, we also now turn to our third way God provides for Ruth. We see that God showed his faithfulness to Ruth by providing a redeemer. God showed his faithfulness to Ruth by providing her with a redeemer. Look, at, with, look along with me at verses 17 through 23. It says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi, or, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we see here in this passage here that she, right, she goes back to work, she continues working until the end of the day, and then goes and beats out the barley. Well, this measurement here, you see the ephah. Scholars are not exactly sure ex how much that is, but they roughly guesstimate that it's anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds, right? And if anything, that's, that's a lot of work for one day to gather 50, 30 to 50 pounds. And we see that she does the hard work of gleaning that and sifting through it, and she goes home and finally takes what she's gotten back to Naomi. And of course... She even takes home the leftover food, right? She takes home the doggy bag from the field of food and is able to share that. So another way that, that Boaz was helping provide for her. Of course, naturally, her mother-in-law is asking, hey, what did you do today? Where did you go find this field? And so she even blesses the man who provided for Ruth before she even knew who the man was, right? And look what she says there. She says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. Right? And this is kind of that blessing again. We see it again with Boaz. The psalmist even commends this blessing when he, when he wrote Psalm 41.1, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of the trouble, the Lord delivered him. Right? And that's exactly what Boaz had done for, for Ruth. So Ruth reveals to her mother-in-law that Boaz was the man who helped provide for her. She worked for her. And notice the transition here in verse 20. It's a total different take on where she was before. In verse 20, she responds, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Right? So this is this term here, the Lord whose kindness 
uh, is a term for God's kindness. It's a beautiful word in the Hebrew. We're not going to show it or do anything, but I do want you to know it's called the hesed. You may have heard that, the hesed love of God. Uh, this word is, is one of those hard words that scholars have trouble truly defining because it, it covers so many facets of God's steadfast faithfulness. And that's why I've titled this sermon that, that great is thy faithfulness. That's why I asked uh, Noah to switch actually a different song so we could sing this in the passage we read. Listen to how one commentator describes this word in the book of Ruth, Hesed. He said, this is one of the key theological expressions in the book. It wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts. Love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, and covenant faithfulness. Here, it involves Yahweh's covenant grace to this family. And we don't have a time to dive into this word a lot more, which we could, but it's in a beautiful word and understanding of what God was doing in Ruth's life. Even Naomi had used this word previously in chapter 1, in verses 8 and 9. And if you can kind of see the shift, if you remember what J.D. read last week, look over at verse 21 in chapter 1. It says about Naomi, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So you kind of begin to see this shift in her demeanor because she's understanding now what the significance of who Boaz can be in their life. Well, what is this idea of the Redeemer, right? This, this is what she says about Boaz. Well, the, the Redeemer was a, used as a part of the Levitical law to help the family members in distress who needed help, right? Whether it was to a death or some other way uh, to do that. Here's just some ways that the, the Redeemer actually helped the family. As one scholar mentioned, that their job was to ensure that the property of the family never passed out of the family. That they were, their job was to buy back those who have sold themselves into slavery because of poverty, to track down and even execute murders of near relatives, to receive money on behalf of a deceased victim of a crime, and to ensure that justice is served in a lawsuit involving a relative. So the Redeemer had, a, had some big shoes to fill if they were accurately going to do what God had provided for them to do. And we won't get into that as much in the, until chapters 3 and 4, but Boaz is not the only one who is the, the Redeemer, or some of your passages may even say the kinsman Redeemer. So this news of meeting Boaz for Naomi was, was bringing some hope into their situation because they didn't have anyone else to provide for their needs. So they were having to fully trust in God to provide for their needs. So Ruth shares here in this moment with Naomi that Boaz had told her to stay here. Right? Stay in the field for the entire harvest. Don't go to another field. I will watch over you. I will look after you. Naomi recognized the wisdom of Boaz, as you, or Boaz in verse 22 by saying, hey, stay with him because you will find some ill will if you go to another field. And this is exactly what Ruth does in verse 23. She stays in the field for the entire harvest. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, it says this, look at there, it says, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Verse 23 of chapter 2, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. 
So from the moment they arrived in Bethlehem, it was the beginning of the barley harvest. And they, she was able to be provided for her physical needs in this moment, right? And even her spiritual needs, because there was going to be this redeemer that was going to come in and help provide. So as we consider this passage this morning, right, we, we were reminded that God showed his steadfast faithfulness in three different ways, right? That God provided Ruth with provision, she, the, her work, that God provided her with a protector, and ultimately that God showed his steadfast faithfulness to provide Ruth with a redeemer. So you're probably thinking, okay, this is great, this is a cool story, it's really motivational, it's really good. So how does that apply to my life in 2022? What can we do? Now, I want to give you three things that I think we can, in ways that we can apply this to our lives. Well, first, I think trust God in all circumstances. And we see this is what, what Ruth and Naomi do, right? So for no matter what you are going through in this room, we know that we can trust in God and his faithfulness. Listen to what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. This is exactly what we're called to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And we see in this story, in the story before, that Ruth and Naomi have faced some pretty difficult circumstances. Right? They didn't know what Bethlehem would have for them when they left Moab. They didn't have a clue of what God was going to do. But they trusted God to provide for their needs, physically and spiritual. They, they trusted him in the middle of their circumstances to know that he was going to do what was best for them. The second way we can apply this this morning is that believe God will take care of your needs, both spiritually and physically. But I have a word of caution for you on this one. Because I think not everything we think is a need is an actual need. Some have needs in our minds that they're actually really only wants, right? We need to have this to be happy in our life. Like, we need this or this or this. no. Actually, we don't. I want everyone to look at me for a second. Realize there's only one thing you need. And that is to be forgiven of your sins. That's the only thing you need. You don't need a healthy baby. You don't need a a wealthy job. None of the stuff that the prosperity gospel talks about, we don't need that. Right? The only thing we need is forgiveness of our sins by Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing we need. And everything we get after that is a blessing. So we certainly, of course, should need and pray for those physical needs that we have. So don't hear me say, don't, don't pray for physical needs. But we need to first and foremost be praying for spiritual needs, right? To be holy, to seek to glorify God with our entire lives, right? Let's get past just praying for Grandma's big toe at our prayer request, right? Let's pray for the salvation of our lost friends, our lost family members, those people in our battalion or our job that have no clue. They're farthest away from God that you could probably imagine someone. And like we spoke about two weeks ago, right? We, we certainly, have, I know we all have things in our life, right? We do have physical needs that we need to have met. This is where Matthew six thirty one and 33 comes back into play. It says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what is Matthew saying to us from that passage? Hey, don't worry about all this stuff. Focus on the one true God and his kingdom. And the third and final way I think we can apply this 
from this passage is remember that God showed his faithfulness to us by providing us with a redeemer. Genesis 3.15, right? In the moment where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God had a plan of redemption. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So in that moment that God provided someone, he promised, hey, there's one day going to come a seed, an offspring that will ultimately redeem all that's been undone in this moment. So through hundreds and hundreds of years of the Bible, we see men rise up who could, who could potentially be that promised offspring, right? We see Abraham. Would it be him? Nope. Isaac? No. Jacob? No. David? No. So on and so forth. Until one day, there is the one who was called the Word. The one who John the Baptist described in John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Church, that's the only thing we need is to have our sin taken away from us by the one true God, the ultimate Redeemer. If you're not familiar with this resource, I would encourage you to get it. It's a, it's a beautiful little children's storybook Bible, but I've learned and gleaned so much from it. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and I was kind of reminding me and looking at it this week, and I was reading, I went back and looked at the passage of the story where she talks about the fall. And I want to read the, the part that she writes about kind of the story and how it should have ended, but it doesn't. So listen to what she says about this, this moment after the fall. She writes, God, God loved his children too much to let the story end there in the garden. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children. Listen to how she describes his love. I love the way she does it. She says, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve and said, It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to battle, do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I am coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came. He came to redeem us from the curse. I, at the end of the day, this story is ultimately pointing to Jesus. I'm not going to ruin it, but I'm going to ruin it. In Ruth chapter 4, right, we see that eventually David would come from Boaz. And if you don't skip over the genealogies in Matthew, because Matthew says that Boaz would eventually become the descendant of, or Jesus would come from that line. So without this story of Ruth and without the story of Boaz, we wouldn't see the story of Jesus, at least in this way. So know this, that this, this is an important passage, right? It was clearly a day that changed Ruth's life. So my, my thing is for you, some of you hopefully here, I pray most of you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And you can vividly remember that day in your life that your, your life was forever, eternally changed. But for some of you in this room, that may not be the case. And, and as J.D. said earlier this morning, I pray that today, that would be your day. That today is the day of salvation for you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, one, I would ask you, why not? Why haven't you done that? What's preventing you from doing that? Let it go. Just let it go, okay? And put your faith in, as another story calls Jesus, the snake crusher. Because he did. He defeated sin and death and the grave for you. So put your faith in the one who is known as the Redeemer. And if you don't know how to do that, come talk to me. Come talk to J.D. or one of the other elders or or someone may who have brought you who knows, knows about that. And we can walk you through what does it mean to be a father of Jesus. All that means is understand that one, you are a sinner. Two, there was someone who died for a Savior at, for you. And that you just all you need to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Okay? If you haven't done that, please do that today. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in this journey of of walking through Ruth, Ruth, and I thank you for just the, the introduction to this story of the one you would use as a redeemer in her life with Boaz, and ultimately would one day have children who would have children, who eventually would come Jesus, the one true God, the God-man, who would die on the cross for our sins and ultimately bring redemption for all who places, place their faith in him and the finished work of the cross. So I pray for anyone in this room who does not excuse me, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would repent and turn from their sins in this day. Lord, yes, it's a tragic day in the history of our country, but I pray that they would be able to look back and see it as the most life-changing moment of their life. And Lord, I do pray, though, as we, we know this story and understand the truth from it, that you would be with us as we are, are wrestling day to day with maybe the physical needs we have and even growing in our spiritual needs, that you would just remind us of your steadfast love. Lord, we thank you that your faithfulness is great and that your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.